This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 86, and we are recording on June 20th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. I'm back. You're back. Welcome back from vacation. Thank you. Thank you. I spent uh, like a week camping, which I'm sure will sound weird to those of you who have listened to this show and heard me yell about how much I don't like nature. <laughs> but I love camping, weirdly. Like I don't like I don't like doing activities in nature or like hiking or anything like that, but I do like sitting down and not moving and reading books for five days, which is basically what I did. So I had a great time and I'm, I'm ready to recommend some books. Excellent. <laughs> excellent. <laughs> I was going to say like, how's your post vacation brain? Does it feel, does it feel ready? It's good. I turned off my Washington post news push notifications for the week and I am <laughs> smart. <feeling great. laughs> smart. What are you reading? Amanda? I have just started like this morning, um, a mystery called Death Going Down by Maria Angelica Bosco, which is translated by a human person whose name is Lucy Greaves that I just Googled. <laughs> um, and I know nothing about this book except that it is an Argentinian like murder mystery. And the author was described to me as the Argentinian Agatha Christie. So I immediately oh, got that book from the library. Yeah. And so that's, I just started it and it opens with the dead woman in an elevator. And that's, that's all I have for you is, is dead woman in an elevator. What about you? <laughs> I, I am reading moon called, which is the first in the mercy Thompson series by Patricia Briggs, because the insiders are basically making me, <laughs> um, the, the book insiders forum. We've been talking a lot about urban fantasy. And one of the members, Amy is like almost caught up with my beloved Kate Daniels. And we were talking about it, and she was like, I mean, it's no Mercy Thompson. And I was like, whoa. What is that? Hold, <laughs> hold up there. <laughs> and so Mercy oh, Thompson <laughs> is... Yeah, I like let's let's like let's take a pause. Um, but she is a Volkswagen mechanic who lives in Washington State and is also kinshift into a coyote. So I, I was like, I will hear more about this. I will I will learn some more. So I just started uh, last night. I just started the first book in the series. So we'll see how that goes. All right. So if you are here, it is because you are here to get book recommendations. We can only help. Otherwise, you're lost. But you can have book recommendations anyway. Uh, This is a personalized reading recommendation show, which means you send us the questions and we answer them. So we get questions of all kinds from what should I give to my niece for her seventh birthday to what should my book club read next to this book left a hole in my heart. What is like it? Uh, If you've got a book question, hopefully we can find you your next read. You can send them to get booked at bookrack. Or you can drop them into the form at the bottom of the show notes on the Book Riot website. If you have a time-sensitive question, please do try to tell us in the subject line of the email or at the very beginning of the form so that we can try to get to it on time. If I don't think we're going to get to your time-sensitive question uh, before you need the answer, or if you've asked a question that we've answered a couple times already on the show, I might shoot you an email with some recommendations instead. Uh, We are working our way through a lot of questions, so... Yes, it might take us a while to get to yours, but we will do our best. Um, So I'm going to read question one, and then Amanda is going to tell us about our first sponsor, and away we will go. 
This first question is from Abby, who says, My husband and I are venturing to Montreal, Quebec this summer, and I find myself questioning if I have ever read a book set in Canada, let alone Quebec or Montreal. I'm looking for an engrossing book to take with me on the trip and would love your help finding something set in Canada or, more specifically, Quebec or Montreal. I would read just about anything but tend towards fiction, and this summer especially mystery and other page-turnery-type novels. All right, our first sponsor is Owlcrate, which is a monthly subscription service that delivers bookish fun straight to your door. Every box contains a brand new hardcover YA novel, as well as a bunch of bookish goodies and keepsakes to kind of help set the mood for your you know, literary adventure. Uh, every box is built with a um, theme in mind. Uh, and there is also a box for uh, readers aged 8 to 12 called Owl Crate Junior. So there's a box for YA readers and a box for younger readers, which is that's kind of like a middle grade age, 8 to 12. Um, so they are also, um, what am I trying to say? One of the notable things that I like about Owl Crate, I'm, th- I'm like thinking back to how I stood in front of their booth at BEA for like 20 minutes talking to them. <laughs> so and, like, all the stuff that I remember being notable while also trying to read these talking points. Um, so a lot of the items in the box, not the books, but the, the items that they send with the uh, the books in the box are handmade and from small businesses and are often exclusive. So you're not going to be able to get them. Even if you go to like the seller's Etsy shop, they're not gonna, you're not going to be able to find the item that they've made for that box. They've also started sending out books with exclusive cover designs. So if you're a collector at all, then this is mm-hmm. kind of like a really cool, um, interesting way to expand your you know collection of rad YA books uh, that you own. Um, and the uh, Owl Crate Junior box, the thing that I thought was really interesting about this is that, you know, you get a book for young readers aged 8 to 12, um, and then you get three to five goodies that come in it, but one, at least one of the three to five items that come in an Owl Crate Junior box is a usable activity, like something that the kid can play with or make a thing with or, you know, something to encourage their creativity. So I thought that was really interesting and nice. So if you want to check it out and get a box, you know, give the subscription uh, service a try, then you can use the code BOOKRIOT10, all one word, and get 10% off your uh, monthly subscription. So go check out Owlcrate and thank you for sponsoring the show. All right. So Canada. Yeah, I realized that I I don't I haven't read a lot of stuff in Canada. So I picked up um, all my puny sorrows for this question. It's by Miriam Toes, and it's not it's not Quebec. Um, it takes place it like bounces back and forth between Toronto and Winnipeg, um, but it is it's in Canada, and it is so page turnery, which makes no sense because it's about a woman watching her sister die. Like, you would think that that would not be a thing that would, like, have you turning pages. But I read this in, like, a sitting. And it's not a short book, so, you know, that'll tell you something. So it's about two sisters um, who grew up in a kind of poor uh, family of Mennonites. And so their, their grandparents, yeah, their grandparents immigrated, like, fled persecution from Russia and came over and started this um, community of Mennonites in Canada. So they grow up in a kind of religiously oppressive atmosphere. The older sister, not the the narrator, but her sister, turns out to be a piano prodigy and goes on to be this very world-famous pianist. And the narrator, whose name is Yoli, um, doesn't. (laughs) Like, she writes a series of children's books about horses. She's divorced or in the middle of a divorce. Uh, Her love life is kind of in a shambles. Like, she has not measured up to her sister's greatness. But her sister, at the opening of the novel, has tried to kill herself again. It's not the first time. There's uh, suicide. There's a history of suicide in their family. Their father committed suicide. A lot of their cousins, most of their aunts and uncles. 
Um, so the book is like the story of Yoli trying to prevent her sister from dying, like trying to keep her in the mental hospital where she stays at the opening of the novel, um, trying to make sure there's somebody with her at all times, trying to like convince her that life is worth living. Like it's just very touching and really heartbreaking uh, look at the relationship between two sisters. But then the pianist sister who like wants to die asks Yoli to take her to Sweden, I think. Um, Sweden or Switzerland, I get them mixed up. But one of the countries where uh, you can't, where it's legal, where you can assist somebody in committing suicide and you yourself will not be prosecuted. So she asks her to take her there for this purpose. And she has to consider whether or not like she wants to do that. So it's a novel about that big question. There's a lot of ethical questions, but um, Toronto is a really big kind of character in the book and like the winter and the, the ice and the rivers and all of that makes up a lot of the atmosphere of the novel. And it's just like, I can't, I can't, it's, you know, I like explain books for a living, but it's so hard for me to like really articulate why I couldn't stop reading this. I mean, it's both to see what ends up happening to her sister, but also it's just, it's just so engrossing. Like the descriptions of her relationship with all of her family and like the Mennonite community and, and, and the scenery of the city and all of it, it's, it's just so well done and, and lovely, um, despite being, you know, obviously very sad. So that's All My Puny Sorrows by Miriam Taos. Taos? T-O-E-W-S. So I did not intentionally make a theme out of this, but I also have a dysfunctional family sister story for you. Mine's a little bit lighter. Dang, that sounds heavy. Um, but good, but heavy. Uh, but yes, so my pick for you is Bone and Bread by Salima Nawaz, which is one of the first books I read this year, and I still think about it regularly, clearly, because I'm recommending it to you. Um, it's about two sisters, Bina and Sadana, who are mixed race. Um, their father was Sikh and their mother was Irish who converted. Converted. And uh, their parents died tragically when they were young. And they were raised by this sort of distant but well-meaning but gruff uncle uh, who runs a bagel shop in the Hasidic community of Mile End in Montreal. So, like, there's a lot of different, you know, culture stuff going on here, right? Like, they're Sikh and they're in a bagel shop in the Hasidic community in a very, like, you know, diverse city, which I thought was really interesting. So you get a really cool view of this one neighborhood specifically. Um, and so the book is both about their childhood and about their adulthood, because when the book opens, um, they Bina is an adult and Satana has died suddenly. And um, there's a bit of a mystery about what happened. And Sedana's medical history is intense because she suffered from anorexia. And so there's all of these questions that Bina is left with about like, what happened? Was her sister relapsing? Was she healthy, but something else happened? Like what? And she has a lot of um, sort of, she's lacking in closure around a few things about their family. She's also a single mom and has a son uh, who is a teenager. And there's a lot of great scenes with the two of them that, like, give it a little bit of lightheartedness, especially early on. But then you discover there's this, like, the boy doesn't know who his dad is. And so then there's this other little sort of family mystery about his parentage and why he doesn't know or why he does know and is he in touch or should he be in touch. And anyway, there's a lot of family dynamics in it. Um, I thought it was really beautifully written. I really loved the characters. And, yeah, it balances. I mean, there's heavy stuff in it, but it balances out with some really lovely moments as well. So that's Bone and Bread by Salima Nawaz. Okay, question two is from Tia, who says, as part of my reading goals, I'm trying to read more diversely, so I decided to try and mirror America's racial dynamics in this year's 100 books. 12% uh, African American, 16% Hispanic Latina, 
5%, Asian American, etc. So far, I've read some fantastic classics, Beloved and The Color Purple, but it's been a bit of a struggle to find books in my favorite genres. I read almost exclusively science fiction and science nonfiction, which are both dominated by white male authors. Do you have any suggestions for science fiction or nonfiction by nine bleh, by non-white authors? I'd especially like to hear about some Hispanic slash Latina authors, which I have been especially struggling to find. Okay, um, I think we have one of each for you, so yay to that. Uh, so I went with the science nonfiction, and my pick for you is I Contain Multitudes by Ed Young. And this was a little terrifying, but I will kind of not. Anyway, it's about microbes. So the subtitle is The Microbes Within Us and a Grander View of Life. And it's about how... Uh, it's about microbiology, basically, and about how, like, germs, essentially, um, occupy both our physical being and also the physical beings of every animal. There's sections in here about squids and wasps and all kinds of, um, uh, what's that? What is that term? Symbiotic relationships? Yeah, symbiotic relationships that microbes have evolved to have with humans and other animals. And so there's, uh, you know, there are parts in here about how antibiotics have been disrupting that, where we're going um, with our use, our overuse of antibiotics and how that affects the, the microbiome misphere. I just made a board uh, in our bodies. <laughs> but some of it is like, I say that it's terrifying because this is stuff you don't think about. Like there's, a, I remember a part in the book where he talks about how we shed, every individual human sheds 30 million my, like individual microbes throughout a day just by like walking around picking up stuff you just so I'm like looking at other people like don't touch me <laughs> but they're, they're mostly harmless and he talks a lot about the distinction that we make between harmless and harmful micro uh, um, microbes but how that distinction is not necessarily helpful or isn't entirely accurate like the the, uh, the bacteria that live in our intestines help us digest our food and can keep us very healthy. But outside of that environment, outside of our intestines, those bacteria can be deadly and can spread really horrible diseases. Um, he talks about new, uh, new developments in science, uh, like how we are using certain microbes to infect, like... Uh, mosquitoes to help prevent the spread of other kinds of deadly microbes. So it's just a really, really interesting and fascinating look at the world of germs for all intents and purposes and how our um, activities in the medical world are disrupting or altering or changing that. So that's I Contain Multitudes by Ed Young, who is himself a really, uh, really talented science journalist who works at The Atlantic, who just had an article come out today about um, bivalves that eat oil. So you can go read that. It's really, it's interesting. All right. So there you go. Thank you. <laughs> nice. Uh, okay, I have two for you because they both kind of fit what you're asking for, but not 100%, so I wanted to give you an option. So my first pick for you is Signal to Noise by Sylvia Moreno-Garcia, which is not actually science fiction. It's fantasy, but I wanted to recommend it to you anyway <laughs> because it's so good. Um, it's kind of like if you took the craft and put it in the 80s in Mexico City. Yeah. Uh, it's about, it's there's two storylines, one that takes place in the 80s and then one that takes place in like the early aughts, um, both in Mexico City. And the main character, whose name is Meche, has, wh when they were teenagers, she and her two best friends discovered they could do magic based on like playing the right vinyl record and doing sort of a ritual around it. Um, and then something horrible happened about, you know, within, like, I think it's something, the timeline is something, like, less than a year of them figuring out that they could do this. And 
and then they haven't spoken to each other for 20 years. But now she's back because her father has died, and you start to find out why she left, and is she going to talk to them, and they're reaching out, and what happened, and oh man, it's so good. Um, we recommended it on the show before, so I don't want to belabor it, but oh man, it's so <laughs> good. Um, I really, really loved this book. And um, the author, uh, Silvia Moreno-Garcia, is Mexican uh, by birth and lives in Canada now. Um, and then if you really want specifically science fiction, I, I couldn't find one that I had read, um, but Stories of Your Life and Others by Ted Chang, who is American uh, of Asian descent, is amazing. It's a short story collection. The movie Arrival is based off of the sort of title story, Story of Your Life. And man, he's got such a range and such an interesting, strange imagination. Like there were the the... There were themes in here that you don't often find right next to each other. So, like, one of the stories is, like, what if, you know, the Tower of Babel, what if they really could build a tower all the way to the sky, which turns out to be, like, a physical location? Or, you know, what if, like, what if you, if golems were actually subject to, like, a scientific method or and then you have the story that gave birth to the movie arrival which is all about like alien encounters and perception of time and linguistics so there's a lot of really different themes all together in different stories and he does such a good job of of elaborating on all of them and giving you like oh my gosh what if that were true that's crazy um so i just i really love his work and i think he's well worth reading so that is stories of your life and others by ted chang Okay, next question is from Denise, who says, I'm looking for books for my 12-year-old son. He used to be a reader, but now he is only obsessed with playing video games. He loves all the Diary of the Wimpy Kids books, and I have tried giving him books that have to do with video games, like Ready Player One and Ender's Game. He started reading Ready Player One, and he really liked it, but he said it only makes him want to play more video games. He's also very interested in history and politics. He bought a history book just to read on his own, and he watches the news and presidential debates. Can you recommend any books that will appeal to him? Go for it. Okay, I picked Zero Boxer by Fonda Lee, which is a really fun science fiction YA novel um, that is about the political um, tension between Earth and Mars. And all of this is played out in a what's called a zero boxing championship. So zero boxing is essentially MMA, like mixed martial arts, but set in a zero gravity cube. And so this takes place kind of far off, not far off, you know, whatever, far enough off into the future that humanity has colonized Mars. Um, the main character's name is Carl Luca. He is, I think, 18 or 19 when the book opens. Um, he is a professional zero-gravity boxer, um, and his career has just started kind of taking off. He uh, wins the title and the, what do you call it, like the, um, oh goodness, the like association, the sporting association that's behind, uh, like the WWE kind of like the, that version. The sporting association gives him like this giant marketing budget. They hire like a brand person to he, they make him into this celebrity, basically like the face of zero boxing. And um, then the tension, the political tensions that are happening like in the background of the book the whole time between Earth and Mars, kind of come to a head at this um, championship match that that pits. Zero boxers from Earth against zero boxers from Mars. Now, the, the Mars fighters um, are genetically engineered, so and as is as are most people on Mars, and that's the source of a lot of the tension between 
people from Mars and people from Earth and the political stuff that's going on. Um, and so while all of that is happening, Carr has to go like defend the name of Earth and defend all things Earthbound and naturally born and not genetically putzed with or whatever. Um, he goes off to Mars to do that thing, while at the same time he discovers this really like strict, like really, uh, how do I say this without spoiling it? Um, life-altering secret about himself and his sport and his family and his coach and um, that as he tries to navigate how to handle that secret has a lot of political implications. So I picked this because it's it's really fast-paced and fun. It's got uh, the main character is a guy, so he might relate to that a little bit more than, uh, I don't know, another book where the main character is not a guy. Um, but the 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 boxing matches like the every chapter almost has a really intense boxing match between Carr and some some other character who's trying to defeat but they feel like video games like it feels very much like you're you're watching because so much of the book is told through the perspective of like optics that are implanted in people's heads and um cuffs that they carry that have uh that project like statistics and stuff over uh, into like people's ears and all of these sort of additions to people's bodies that make it feel very video game ish but there are no video games in the book so i don't think he'll read it and be like well i don't want to read this anymore i just want to go play a book about boxing or play a game about boxing i think that it'll satisfy that sort of itch that he's got but at the same time will like keep him engrossed so that's zero boxer by fonda lee i picked code talker by joseph bruchak because i really did fixate on this history bit i was like oh (laughs) history interesting um yeah, and this book is great. It's about so as many of us know, um, there were code. They were called the Code Talkers. They were Navajo who were recruited by the U.S. government during World War II to help break to well to give America like an unbreakable code uh, in the fight against um, the enemies. And uh, and so and so they they occupied this very important part of the intelligence network of the war. And they also were part of some of the heaviest fighting. Uh, and but they were classified. Their story was classified for like twenty years. So people are still you know like they're just people are still hearing about this. Um, and so Joseph Bruchak, who is Native. American himself decided to write a YA-focused book about this uh, from the point of view of a boy named Ned Begay, who is 16, and he becomes a co-talker. And so it's all about like his journey and his experience during the war and how the Navajo helped the effort and you know what their kind of training they had and what they experienced. So it's heavy, but it doesn't sound like you're concerned about that. I mean, if he's watching current politics, they're, they're pretty heavy. Um, and it's also a subject that there is nonfiction writing about as well, um, in addition to some movies. So it seemed like the kind of thing where he could get excited about it and then read some more. Uh, so this would be like a good entry into an interesting historical situation is how I'm thinking about it. And Joseph Bruchek is just a great writer also. So that's Code Talker by Joseph Bruchek. And is it time? It is time for our <laughs> second sponsor. We have three sponsors today, so our sponsor spots are a little different. Okay, so our second sponsor is for all of you erotic romance fans out there. Uh, it is the Lessons in Control series by Jade A. Waters, which the third book is very recently out, but I want to tell you about the first book because you have to start somewhere, and that is The Assignment, and it is about a woman named... Maya Clary, and she thinks she's happy. She thinks life is good. 
Uh, she's left her troubled past behind. But then she meets this guy named Dean Sova, and he has everything that she wants, um, except that he is very dominant and is going to, you know, like starts to make her realize that she has buried some dark needs of her own that she is not exploring. And so he gives her a series of assignments. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and so it's about Maya trying to like decide, like, is she really going to go to these places that she thinks she wants to go to? Is she ready? Can she handle it? And it's all, you know, that classic erotica BDSM stuff. So if you are a fan, this is a series that you want to have on your radar. Uh, The first book, like I said, is The Assignment, and that is the Lesson in Control series by Jade A. Waters. Thank you so much for sponsoring the show and giving me a hey moment. (laughs) Always love to have one of those. All right. Question four is from Adam, who says, I recently looked at my daughter's reading list for school and noticed very few had female protagonists. And this is something my daughter's complained about before. She's in fifth grade and an avid reader, but she keeps getting recommended and given books with male main characters. As a middle-aged man, children's books are uh, admittedly are not in my wheelhouse, but I wanted to give my daughter books with strong female characters. Her favorite books are Harry Potter, Peter Pan, and The Once and Future King. She loves fantasy and adventure stories, goes crazy over anything with witches. A friend recently gave her The Sister's Grim, and she finished all ten books in a month. She reads at a fairly high reading level, so I'm not afraid of giving her something a bit more difficult to read, but I would like to give her some fun children's books. Okay, I picked Furthermore by Tahara Mafi, which is a middle-grade fantasy novel that has lots of magic and very witchy kind of things happening and is a great, fun adventure. The main character's name is Alice. She's 12 years old, and she lives in Farinwood, which is a magical land that is full of color, and everybody's... Um, like the level of magic you have is based on how colorful you are as a person, both like in your skin and also your home and the things that are around you. But Alice it has no color. Like her, her skin is gray. Her hair is gray. Um, and so she's never, and she's never exhibited publicly any kind of magical abilities of any sort. Um, her father disappeared three years ago and her mother in her despair over that situation has been, um, very cruel to Alice and hasn't, been there for this 12-year-old girl who looks outwardly very different from everyone around her and um, feels kind of heartbroken about it. And so uh, on the eve of what's, I don't remember the name of it, but they're, the, sum, the summoning, I think, every 12-year-old child on their birthday uh, has to do a demonstration for the community of their magical ability, and then they're given some sort of task or adventurous challenge to go off and fulfill. And then once they do that, they're like admitted as members of this community, um, as adults. And so she's really excited about this. She wants to finally show everyone that she does have some sort of, that there is something special about her, but the day of uh, the summoning, the thing that she does is considered unacceptable. Um, And so in like kind of disgust and sorrow, she, instead of trying to stay and make herself part of this community, goes off in search of her father to a different land called Furthermore, um, which has a whole bunch of very odd magical rules that don't make any sense to her that she has to navigate. So it's got, it's kind of got a Chronicles of Narnia portal thing going on. She goes off into a, a different world to solve this mystery, find her father, uh, wrinkle and timey sort of kind of thing. Um, but it's just, she's a really, the thing that I love about so many middle grade novels that are really great is they're just like very incisive about the hard stuff about being a kid. And there's a lot of that here, but it's also just like a fun read. And Alice is a very quirky and excellent character. She's accompanied on her adventure by an older boy whose task is to help her find uh, her father. And his name is Oliver. And he talks down to her a lot. He does this thing that I really hate, 
but it's a very common trope in YA and um, and middle grade novels where he doesn't explain what's going on to Alice, but expects her to obey him because he like doesn't have the patience to explain the rules of this magical land. No, right? Like that drives me nuts. It drives me nuts. And this is the only book that I have ever read. And I read a lot of YA and middle grade fantasy. And this is the only book I've ever read where the female character calls him out on it and like does not mm. accept that he condescends to her and doesn't accept that I don't understand, you know, how you expect me to navigate this world when you will not explain things to me and you just expect me to follow you. Like that I've never seen that mm. made a point of and it's very refreshing. Um so that's furthermore by Tahara Mafi. Very nice. Uh, I was thinking, I was trying to think of a good, like, kick-butt fantasy, of which there are so many, and I landed on the the prophecy, which is, well, excuse me, prophecy, there's no that in front of it, which is the first of the Dragon King Chronicles by Ellen O., which has three books, all of which are out, so if she likes this first one, there's more for her. Um, and I really enjoyed these, they're really, like, Oh, the world building is great and the characters are fun. Uh, so it's about a girl named Kira who is the only girl in the king's army, and she is the prince's bodyguard. And because she's very talented at, you know, being a guard, and also because she has this special power, she's a demon slayer, um, and she is outcast by pretty much everyone. And but she also is important to the survival of everything because, of course, she is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so there's a big upheaval at the palace. Um, people die. There are traitors. There's a demon invasion coming, and so Kira ends up on the run with the prince, who might be the person predicted in this special prophecy, but they have have to go like find they have to go on a quest to find the treasure to to see if they can fulfill it um and and the prophecy is very cryptic of course so it's very confusing um and in the meantime there's like demons after them and an evil shaman and you know they she's got to protect this prince and it's very complicated and intense um there's really good action the book sort of flips the script on a lot of things uh it's uh it's a world that's you know sort of medieval but instead of being like european medieval it's inspired by korea which is really interesting and you don't see a lot of in ya well you're starting to see more of it but and then uh there's also i don't want to spoil anything anyway (laughs) the gender roles get very interesting um and the prophecy stuff also gets very interesting so i really enjoyed it i think she would have a good time with it it's the kind of adventure story that just sucks you right in and kira is an amazing main character and there isn't a romance in this book which i find refreshing from time to time like i'm all about a good romance but every now and then it's nice to have a break and have there be some other motivation for things happening and so, like, it's about friendship and loyalty, and that's that's a lovely change of pace, too. So that is Prophecy by Ellen O. All right, next question is from Brittany, who says... Uh, I have a YouTube channel called Under the Radar Books, and I'm always looking for books that are lesser known. I tend to read mostly literary fiction, but I'm open to all kinds of genres. Some of my favorite Under the Radar books are Bones and All by Camille DeAngelis and In the Meantime by Paul Tremblay. I'm hoping you guys can recommend some books that you think are extremely underhyped but wonderful. Go for it, Amanda. This is my favorite question. <laughs> of all the questions we get, we get this every now and then. There's some version of, like, tell us about a book that you didn't get enough praise. And it's just my favorite. This is my favorite. Okay, so I picked Problems by Jade Sharma, which is so messed up. It's such a messed up book. Um, so the main character, uh, her name is Maya. She is married. She lives in New York. She's a bookseller. Um, she's a heroin addict. And... 
is cheating on her husband with her thesis advisor or professor who is in his 60s. Um, she's very snarky. Her, she, her family is kind of broken. Her mother's very ill. She, so basically, she has a lot of problems, as the book would imply, the book title, which is problems. Um, and so this is like her inner monologue. There are no, there's no real uh, narrative. It's very much like slipping into her life and watching her for a couple of months and then slipping out again. So it's not super fast paced. Not a lot happens, I guess, but she's so funny and like very unlikable and, um, selfish, but I just love that. Like every now and then it's nice, I guess, especially in the like state of literary fiction right now to get a care, a female character, a protagonist, a voiced narrator who is just kind of a jerk and is a woman like that. We're so rarely allowed to do that in literature. And it's, it's telling that this book was the first, um, printed book from coffee houses, Emily books imprint. I don't know how familiar y'all are with that sort of thing, but Emily Books is Emily Gould's uh, was an ebook only subscription service that published what they call weird books by women, basically. And they started an imprint to do print books with coffee house books, and this was the first one. So, uh, if you know anything about Emily Gould, the fact that their first print book was by uh, was about like a really horribly unlikable um, woman narrator is probably unsurprising. But she talks so much about. Um, like family dynamics and why her marriage is falling apart and why women get married so young and why she has a heroin problem and like eating disorders. And it's sad and weird and hard to read because she's so self-centered, but is also struggling with all these things that are like very real. I, ha I have personally kind of like difficulty reading books that are just about one person's selfishness because like sometimes they're just not real problems, which is a horrible thing to say because, you know, everybody's problems are real problems, but like, she's got real problems. Like her mother is dying and well, whatever. She's in therapy. She doesn't always tell her therapist the truth. She's just a complicated, messy person at a really complicated, messy time. And the book is only like 150 pages, but it's such like genius, like incisive, smart, funny, weird thing. So, and I can't, okay. I need y'all if you don't buy it, at least go look it up on Amazon and tell me what is on that cover. Because I, <laughs> I own this book and I can't figure it out. It looks like maybe the aluminum foil yogurt lid and the character has an eating disorder and does eat yogurt for like two weeks straight and nothing but yogurt. So that would make sense. But I, at first I thought it was a breast implant, which didn't make any sense. Anyway, I need, I need y'all's help. So please go do that and then email me and tell me what it is. So that's Problems I by Jade Sharma. I was wondering if it was like a combo, like it's foil because heroin, but also it's yogurt, so maybe it's meant to be like oh, yeah. multi, but I don't know because I haven't read I the book. I just assumed that it was some sort of drug paraphernalia that I don't recognize because yeah. I don't, I'm not a heroin addict, but like what right. is it? I don't yeah, know. I, I don't know. know. I do not know. <laughs> Uh, was your dog having problems in the background? I heard what sounded like a yeah, collar getting <laughs> shook around. No, it's okay. I like to think about your dogs oh. having book opinions. So, I was back you know. there like, yeah, read the book about the heroin. <laughs> um, so my pick for you is Pim by Matt Johnson, which I stumbled across last year, sometime in the last year and a half. And I don't, I don't, I didn't hear about it. I, I mean, you've heard of Matt Johnson because he's an amazing writer and he wrote Loving Day, which I think got a lot more publicity. Uh, but Pim is a really weird and different and fascinating book and I love it. And it had me very confused about Edgar Allan Poe. So what this book is, is it is a satire. Is it, is it a satire? Is it just comedy? I get a little bit confused sometimes about that, but I'm pretty sure it's a satire. Anyway, it is about a, an American literature professor named Chris Janes who is obsessed with Edgar Allan Poe. Like, this is what he has made his specialty. 
uh, and he is black. And he discovers there. So Edgar Allan Poe, this is real. This part is real. Edgar Allan Poe wrote one novel called The Narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket. And it's super weird. And uh, James is obsessed with this. And then he discovers a manuscript of a slave narrative that seems to say that this novel is actually real. This is the fake part. This is the fiction part. So he decides that he's going to put together an expedition based on this, this manuscript and try to go to the place it describes, which might be the place in Poe's novel. Uh, and so, and for various reasons, he puts together an all-black crew uh, to go to this place where every every creature is described as white. Um, so there are, like, level upon level of racial commentary in here. Like, that's very deliberate. And, um, oh, man, it's so biting. Like, that humor is really sharp. And the it's, like, the fantastical adventure part. It feels very much like reading that era of adventure novel in a certain way, like, like uh, Burroughs or... Um, H. Ryder Haggard, who I have a, like a weird obsession with, she <laughs> <Me too. laughs> like it's yeah right. So like it's just a it, but it kind of it's it's clearly in that narrative tradition, except that it's about a black expedition about ex- Edgar Allan Poe. Like there's it's just it's really great. Um, I have a lot of obviously I have a lot of feelings about it, um, and I just thought it was so interesting and 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 he really pulls off his whole concept just amazingly well. Um, and it's not it's not really like anything else I've ever read. So I would like more people to read it so I can have feelings at them about <laughs> it and they will know what I'm talking about. So so that's Pym, which is PYM by Matt Johnson. Okay, question 6 is for Maggie who says I recently read Coffin Hill because it was recommended on the show and I loved it. It didn't just remind me of my love of witches, but also of family heritage slash curses. Do you know of any good supernatural books that involve old families and magic and maybe curses? Okay, I couldn't think of anything for this one, oddly. So I took it to the contributors, and they recommended Three Dark Crowns by Kendari Blake. And I don't remember which contributor it was who recommended this, and I didn't write it down. So I'm sorry to whichever one of you it was. Uh, but thanks for your help. Um, so Three Dark Crowns is a YA fantasy novel about uh, an island called Fenburn, in which every generation a set of triplets are born. Um, they're three queens. They're all heirs to the crown. And each one is born with like a different kind of magical, witchy sort of power. Um, and in this generation, the three sisters have, uh, one of them has the ability to like control storms and elements, basically fire, wind, that kind of thing. Um, another one is a poisoner. She can ingest poisons without, uh, dying. And she can also just like really naturally good at creating them. And then the last sister is what's called a naturalist. So she has the ability to like kind of commune with animals and plants and that kind of uh, sort of thing. And so the twist here is that the three sisters are born and then they're separated and raised in different areas of the country and, to kill each other because there can only be one queen of, uh, one crowned queen and they ha- it's just a fight to the death. So whichever one is left standing using their powers to kill the other two is the one who gets crowned. So that's very curse-ish. I feel like <laughs> having to, like being born and having to uh, kill your family because of a tradition. Um, and so the book is the, the story of them developing their powers separately, the romances that they do and don't have along the way, and then uh, them coming together to like compete for the position of ruling uh, this kingdom. And the thing that I, I like about this uh, premise is that um, they want it. Like, the sisters want to win. It's not this thing where, like, you know, 
oh, but my feelings. It's like, no, they, they're like kind of power, they're <laughs> kind of power hungry, which is like, I appreciate. I, I would, I feel like that's sort of lacking, you know, in, in YA where, where, um, the main characters are, are given a power or sort of kingdom or responsibility. So often the angst, or the conflict is about like, well, they don't want this, you know, whatever. Um, I didn't ask for this, but like, give me a Slytherin, you know, who like wants the thing. I, I appreciate <laughs> that. So that's three dark crowns by Kendari Blake. I may have talked about how you were a Slytherin on the last episode of Get while you were gone. Yeah, that's true. No, no, it was on SFF. Yeah, it came up somehow. I can't remember. Um, we're not all bad. <laughs> no, not all bad. Kendra Blake is great. I got to be, I got to moderate a panel that had her on it at GeekyCon last year, and she's amazing. Um, okay, so I have a link for you, Maggie. It is a link to the 100 must-read books about witches, which I think you will find a lot of good reading material there. Um, And I also obviously have a recommendation. I am recommending The Raven Boys, which is the first in the Raven Cycle series by Maggie Stiefvater. With a caveat, it drove me a little bit nuts that the main character, Blue, has no female friends of her own age like that it just bothered me so much throughout the course of this book that like she didn't talk to a girl her own age I think even once but otherwise I very much enjoyed this book um so Blue is uh the daughter of a clairvoyant and in fact she lives in this house with all of her like aunts and her mom and they all have psychic powers and she does not appear to well she can amplify other people's psychic powers but otherwise she can't do anything cool uh which is frustrating to her and also she's like well fine i don't want to have anything to do with this except that i live in a house with a bunch of psychics and that's annoying <laughs> uh but so so she's a teenager who's grumpy for various reasons which is always great and then one day um she is doing this like ritual with her mom in a graveyard and then a, a, a like the sort of I don't know if it's like a spirit technically. Anyway, this boy, she has this vision of a boy who speaks directly to her, which is a first. And uh, she she's pretty sure she's gonna die. he's going to die. And then she meets him in real life. Um, and he turns out to be a student at this local private school that's very shishi. And he is on a quest to find this... He's convinced that there's a thing buried on a ley line near where they live. And he's on a quest to find it because... Because reasons. Uh, And so him and his three sort of tag-along companions from the school are all involved in this, and Blue becomes part of their quest. Um, And there's a lot of interesting twists and turns to the plot. Uh, I don't want to spoil too much, so I won't say what they are, but I was delighted to see a lot of things that I wasn't expecting. Um, and at the ending, I was like, oh, I need to know what's the thing. Uh, and the, the books are all out, I'm pretty sure, right? They're all out. Uh, or at least there are four of them. So if, if they're not done, which I think it is, uh, there is plenty of reading for you to get what happens next. So, um, so it's like a little bit witchy in that you have this family of women who have weird powers. And then there's this quest and this, this, there is a curse attached to the quest. So it seems to hit uh, the things you are looking for. So that's The Raven Boys by Maggie Stiefvater. And now it is time for our third sponsor, which is Plowshares, who are doing a cool new thing. I did not know this, and I'm very interested in it. So they are doing a digital first series of novellas uh, edited by their editors. Plowshares is a literary journal, in case you didn't know. Um, And so they are putting together a bunch of novellas that you can get uh, on their website for like very reasonable, probably like $1.99, $2.99. And it's fiction 
fiction and nonfiction. So if you are looking for short works by really good authors, uh, this is a great place to start looking. There's a bunch of different uh, styles and um, topics here, it looks like. They've got essays, and uh, they are they are available to download on your Kindle or your Nook or your iPad or your Kobo or da-da-da-da-da. Mm-hmm. Like, they're pretty... You, you probably have a thing you can read it on. And you can subscribe and receive a year's collection of issues for $10, which is a very good deal. So if you are looking to expand your digital library, you need some literary fiction or essays for your morning commute, you should definitely check out Plowshare Solos. If you go to pshares.org slash bookriot, you will see a very good deal and a bunch of more information. So you should definitely check that out. That's pshares.org slash bookriot. And thank you again for sponsoring the show. Okay, is it me yeah, again? sorry. Oh, it's me again. Okay, I'm just saying all the things. This question is from Liliana, who says, I would like to know what are some contemporary authors you would recommend based solely on their writing style? I've read mostly classics for ages, and I'm afraid I'm missing out on a lot of good stuff. One of the things I like most in a book is a unique and beautiful writings is unique and beautiful writing. So where can I find that in contemporary lit? I'm sure it's everywhere. I just don't know where to look and could use some guiding. Amanda. Okay, I picked Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk by Ben Fountain, um, which I uh, remain obsessed with. It came out in 2012, and I just love it so much. It's uh, about a boy, well, boy. Well, yeah, he's 19, I think, in the book. His name is Billy Lynn. Um, He's a veteran of the war in Iraq. He was in Iraq with with the Bravo squad. That's the name of his squad. They got caught in a firefight with a band of insurgents. Um, There was an embedded Fox News crew that caught it. And so the members of the Bravo squad became like these national heroes once the footage uh, started airing. And so the president who was never mentioned in the book, but is very obviously Bush, um, brings them back to the U.S. and sends them on this victory tour, which uh, ha- like ha- just so happens to run through a couple of swing states uh, to like, kind of drum up support for the war in Iraq. And the tour ends at the Thanksgiving Day game between the Cowboys and the Redskins. And so the book is mostly about Billy Lynn with his uh, squad member. I don't know the word that you're supposed to use for that. Uh, squad people, the member, the other members of the Bravo squad, um, at the stadium, kind of like, you know, being toured around and, uh, like not stomped on, but, um, flooded basically by people fawning over them and being used as like public relations pawns. There are people who want to make a movie out of their experience. Um, and all this kind of stuff. And so the book is a lot, I mean, it's very much of a moment. Like it is about the Iraq war and it's uh, uh, critical of it, but it's a larger look at how American culture um, treats soldiers and this sort of feigned fawning that we do about their service. When in reality, we don't know anything about the history of the conflicts that we're sending over them to fight. And, um, that kind of empty patriotism that we ape at people who have served in the military when they come home. Uh, but his writing, and this is what you're asking about. So his writing style is, it's, it's like deceptively simple, but it's so heartbreaking. And I didn't know, I mean, I come from a family of veterans, but I didn't know going into this, how much I was going to relate to like a 19 year old boy who's coming home from like the horrors of war and seeing his friends die in front of him. But you are just in his skin. And like he's, he's perspective is, so universal and it's so incisive and cutting and I came away feeling really weird about my like status as an American um, watching people go off to this war that I don't 
didn't know anything about at the time. So uh, I am also a, a historical reader of almost exclusively classics up until a few years ago, and I just was obsessed with this book. And the way that he writes feels a lot to me like a callback to, uh, not, to Dickens, not in like a, it's not flowery like that, and it's not even <laughs> satirical like that. It's much more simpler uh, stylistically, but uh, how he's, he's telling what appears to be a really simple story, but is actually about this, these much broader social problems. Um, so that's Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk by Ben Fountain. Cosine all of the <laughs> Have you seen the movie? It's really, no, yeah, I'm nervous. I'm afraid. I don't. I don't know if I can handle it. If it's not good, um, if you have seen it and can verify, please do leave <laughs> us a comment about it so I can know for sure. Uh, okay, so my recommendation for you is "A Girl Is a Half Formed Thing" by Amor McBride, which I don't read. I read significantly less literary fiction than I used to, and I don't read much experimental fiction at all. And this book is one of my favorite books of the past couple of years, and it is both of those things. It is a novel about a young woman whose brother has has is brain damage, uh, and is so not. He's like you know he's pretty high functioning, but he he just doesn't function on the same level as a person of his age would otherwise, and so. She is struggling with that. She also has a very complicated relationship with her mother. Um, some horrible things have happened to her in her past and also are happening to her in her present. Uh, it's really dark. Trigger warning for sexual assault uh, and um, suicide, both of those things. Uh, and, and, and yet somehow, and, and McBride writes in this really fragmented style, like her sentences are not often actually grammatical sentences. They're fragments and they're run-ons and they're like a little bit stream of consciousness and a little bit dialogue-y and a l they're just so uniquely her own style. And it, this book just hit me so hard. Uh, I, I was so taken aback by how easy it was to read once I got started. Like once you, you learn the rhythm of the book, you really, it doesn't, it, it wasn't hard, even though it is very fragmented and strange. And I found myself underlining sections, which I don't usually do in literary fiction. Like that's not that's not normal for me. Uh, and and yet there were these these sections that were just so compelling and vivid and brilliant. And I was just like, what? Or how do you make words do this? <laughs> like how do you word? Like I don't understand how, but you did it, and it's amazing. Um, so. It, it, it is not a cheerful book. It's a very dark, sad book. Um, there's, you know, a lot of personal struggles with faith and sexuality and violence and family dysfunction. Um, but it's also really full of these intense emotions, and it's it's the writing style is just unreal. Um, it's so good. It, it's just a, it's a strange and complicated and difficult book that I love. And and if you're looking for different kinds of writing, like you must have this on your shelf. You must have it. You must. So that is a girl is a half formed thing by Amor McBride. Okay, our last question, I apparently neglected to write down the name of the person who wrote it, so sorry about that. But this mysterious person says, uh, I, I find I've been having a hard time really enjoying YA like I used to. It's not that I'm older, although I am. It's because I find I now get annoyed by love shapes, triangles and squares, where the heroine has all these men vying for her affection. Can you recommend any YA books that don't have love shapes? I usually like a bit of romance, but maybe just one-on-one -on -one relationships or keeping the romance way off to the side of the plot would help. Or possibly uh, reading a YA with no romance. Some YA books that I love were A Girl of Fire and Thorn series, The Raven Boys, and The Mediator series. Um, all I know, but still a fave. Okay, 
I <laughs> love shapes. Love shapes. When, I love when it. When I read this it's question, so I sent Jen a bunch of DMs on our Slack channel. I was like, love shapes. <laughs> love shapes. About love shapes. So good. <laughs> okay, so whew, I picked Promise of Shadows by Justina Ireland, which, full disclosure, Justina used to be a book rate contributor, um, but I love the book and it has nothing to do with that. So this is a just great, like, retelling, I guess, a reinterpretation of Greek mythology. The main character's name is Zephyr, and she is a harpy, but she's a very bad harpy. Like, she doesn't really like violence. She has no... And if you know anything about Greek mythology, harpies are, like, kind of the assassins of the underworld, and their purpose is to kill people, but she's kind of, like, not into it. Um, She fails all of her, like, exams to become an actual functioning harpy. Um, She doesn't... She can't manipulate magic in the way that she's her like I guess species or whatever is supposed to be able to um but then her sister who is also harpy who has become romantically involved with Hermes or I always want to say Hermes which I know is a handbag <laughs> a handbag company and not the name of a god <laughs> Hermes spelled the same though uh, spelled the same Hermes. um her sister becomes romantically involved with Hermes uh that kind of goes south for a bunch of reasons I'm not going to get into because spoilers um and then um she is killed her sister is killed Zephyr stumbles upon this happening and realizes that a god has been sent to kill her sister um not Hermes a different one and Zephyr kills him which should be impossible like the gods should not be able to be killed first of all like in general but certainly not by these lower level magical beings who have who are not don't have the powers of a god so she gets sentenced to spending the rest of eternity in the underworld um in like the hell part of the underworld digging ditches like until the end of time and that's where you we find her at the opening of the book um and then she's rescued from hell by a childhood friend and it turns out that she is like the nyx which is this creature that's supposed to fulfill this prophecy to free lesser magical beings from the enslavement of the um more privileged powerful gods and then they're like there's conspiracy there's just a lot going on there are no love shapes but she does have a love interest her childhood best friend but it's very much off to the side and the idea of whether or not she is this prophetic or this prophesied being and the way that ireland is telling greek myths and weaving them into modern life is really what the book is about um there's also a lot of nods to like structural oppression and racism in the book like she's a harpy and harpies in this book have dreadlocked hair and dark skin and uh use um well never never mind that's a spoiler they've dragged dreadlocked hair and dark skin and there's a lot of talk about how that's like not aesthetically as appealing as the gods who are pale and you know that kind of stuff so um there's just a lot going on justina's saying a lot of stuff in this book and it's just a lot of fun there's adventure it's kind of dark um no love shapes just a line a love line (laughs) so that's promise of shadows by justina ireland I want to re-mention Prophecy, the Dragon King Chronicles that I mentioned um, earlier by Ellen O, because they're 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 not that's not a romancy series, so that that would also work for you. Um, but this, I haven't gotten to talk about the Graceling series in a while because we recommended it too many times, but it's been enough time <laughs> that I can talk about it again. So I'm going to recommend unto you the Graceling series uh, by Kristen Kishore, which starts with Graceling, and uh, then there's Fire and Bitter Blue. And, oh, man, so 
There are romances, but they are, yeah, they're not shapes. Uh, in the first book, Katza, who has, uh, she's being used by her uncle for her, her power appears to be that she's very good at killing people. Like, she's his enforcer, basically. Um, because she is one of, uh, she's a Graceling, which means she has two different color eyes and a power that mani- manifests itself um, when you're young. And hers appears to be that she's good at causing violence. And she, so she's been raised to believe certain things about herself, none of which are good, uh, and has terrible self-esteem, but has started to decide that she is, she, maybe she's only good at violence, but at least she's going to use that violence for good. So she becomes involved in this conspiracy uh, of, of people who are trying to make things better, and she's uniquely placed, because she is part of this king's court, uh, to get some information and to help make things happen. So she goes on a mission and meets another Graceling, who also appears to be very good at weapons, but that's not what his grace is either, secrets. Um, And everything goes crazy. There's all politics. There's big adventures. Uh, They do fall in love. And it's a really beautifully navigated relationship because Katza has a lot of baggage that she is aware of. And on top of it, she has very specific plans for her future. And the book doesn't ask her to reconsider those plans, which I really appreciated. Um, and then the the next two books also have a love story, but it's again, it's not a love shape. And it's really more about how the character comes to deal, how the characters come to deal with their own issues, as well as their parts that they play in this big political upheaval that's happening over the course of the books. So I cannot recommend them highly enough. They're delightful. They're really interesting. They're very smart. And there are no love shapes. No, no love, love shapes. shapes. So that's the Graceling series by Kristen Kishore. Put that on my tombstone. <laughs> no love shapes. No, it's our next book right t-shirt. <laughs> no, no love shapes. Oh, thank you so much for listening to the show. Um, if you have a minute, please do leave us a review on iTunes. It helps other folks to find the show, and we love to see your feedback. Thank you to all of our sponsors for today's show. And you can find us on social media, kind of. I think both of us are a little bit off of it at the moment. But uh, I'm Jen IRL on Twitter. Jen with two N's, IRL. And Amanda is I'm Amanda Nelson. And we will talk to you next time. Bye.